This little light of mine. Welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we explore what happens when you teach a child that they are not allowed to love. Here's your host, James Powell. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell and I'm glad that you're able to join me for today's episode called God Hates Figs. If you've been following me on Instagram or Facebook at My Light Shines Bright, we've been having some deep and powerful healing work as we reclaim our inner infants, inner toddlers, and are onto our inner preschool selves. I continue to be floored by my own inner child healing work. For so many years, I tried to pretend that my past didn't have any impact, and I wondered why all the work that I was doing in therapy on trying to stay and heal in the present moment didn't ever seem to be enough for me. You know the saying, putting lipstick on a pig? Well, that was me before I learned that I needed to go all the way back and address the trauma and all those emotions that I'd stuffed away over the years. It's not easy, but I'm starting to feel some of those feels, and man, is it ever uncomfortable breaking some of those good feelings, bad feelings rules that I was raised under. One thing that I'm finding really helpful is being on this journey with so many of you from around the world. Thank you to all the people that are traveling alongside me and doing some of this inner healing in your own lives. Your courage and encouragement is an unexpected gift. To Zara and little Zara from Lahore, Pakistan, for digging in and showing that we can do hard things. A special thank you to Chad on Canada's East Coast for sharing part of his transformation. See me in Ottawa for asking the big and important questions. Zara for spreading love from Venice Beach all across the world. Kiwi spills art for creating beauty out of her own pain. Mike for doing big things with his inner child from Atlanta. Rachel for her loving support and constant reminders that my breath is my medicine from Sweat and Tonic in Toronto. And Miriam Bronski for sharing her haunting and beautiful vocals that score the first part of today's episode. I also want to give another big thank you to Matthias Roberts from episode 10, Beyond Shame. It's been amazing to hear stories from this community about your growth and healing as you learn to create a healthy sex life on your terms. The stories and comments that have been coming in around purity culture, addiction, and sexual shame within the queer community show how needed his work really is. And speaking of his work, And congratulations to Mark from Toronto, who won Matthias' new book, Beyond Shame. Your copy is in the mail, along with a huge congratulations to you and your new fiancé, Robbie. Now, in today's episode, God Hates Figs, I'm taking another stroll down memory lane that shares some messages that I learned around homosexuality as a young boy growing up in a fundamentalist church background. Now, I'm hoping by the title of this episode, you're expecting this trigger warning for some of the hate speech and toxic shame that will be shared. To get really honest, the deeper I get into these episodes, the more uncomfortable I'm getting. I spent a lifetime playing nice and hiding this ugliness inside of me. And parts of me, I still want to protect my family, my church, my youth group leaders, and my school teachers from sharing this truth. But as I continue on my healing path, I'm growing, and I'm learning to honor other parts that know I no longer need to hold on to this toxicity inside of me. I'm learning we heal when we come together and we share our stories. And with that, here's today's episode, God 
hates figs. Entering into the later grades of elementary school, the strange feelings inside of me started to take form. I kept hearing messages about homosexuals in our church and within the broader church community. As I heard these messages, read the stories, saw the headlines, I knew they were talking about me. God hates fags. Homosexuals are an abomination in the eyes of God. Gays are uncontrollable sexual perverts. AIDS is God's cure to gay filth. The homosexual revolution is a symptom of our nation coming under the judgment of God. Homosexuals don't reproduce, they recruit. We have to stop militant gays from transforming our country into a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality is preventable and treatable. The homosexual agenda is looking to destroy the church. They must be stopped. And these were just a few examples of what my religion taught that God thought of kids like me. There were many more examples when our non-political churches would raise a fury over the gay marriage debate and discuss how giving full rights and freedoms to LGBT people was really part of a gay agenda to abolish religious freedom and bring an end to our very own church. The fear-mongering from the pulpit, from Christian radio talk shows, and whispered amongst adults was along the lines of, if they are allowed to get married, our pastor would be forced to marry them and if he didn't, he could be imprisoned. Cue the clutching of the pearls, the conservative gasps that would activate the church machine, that would see letter-writing campaigns and petitions sent to local politicians by the thousands. It was the duty of all God-loving Christians to help save our country and ultimately protect our children. Gay people were made out to be seething monsters. They were out of control sex-hungry, mentally ill, deceitful, and they were out to recruit the children. At our church, we weren't taught the extreme of hating gay people, but we were taught that being gay was a choice, a sinful choice, and one that must be stopped. I felt like a spy, a traitor in my own community. As I heard these messages, heard people speak with disdain about homosexuality, heard youth group leaders, friends, and family members use words like faggot, flamer, and fairy. I knew they were talking about me. I was trapped. I had nowhere to go. These were the people that told me they loved me. These were the people that were supposed to protect me. These were the Christians that told me I was saved because I had accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And yet they were talking about me as if I was subhuman. It was now more important than ever that I didn't show any signs of who I really was. I learned to watch every hand movement, every word that I pronounced, every decision that I made. I couldn't afford a limp wrist, a lisp, or anything that could be perceived as gay by anyone. It was this type of initial hiding to protect myself that morphed into my internalized homophobia. 
obliterated my self-worth and self-esteem and was the accelerant for my self-hatred. The head of Exodus International, the now debunked conversion therapy, and yes, I put therapy in quotes because there's nothing therapeutic other than the word they chose to use, happened to go to our church. Pat was regularly welcome to speak, share her testimony, and talk about the transformative work that God was using her to perform. Each time she would speak, I would sit frozen like a deer that knows it's being hunted in the woods. I couldn't fidget, move an inch, or nervously bite my nails because I knew that all eyes were on me and that they were waiting for my reaction. In my grade school mind, I believed that my entire church was part of this elaborate scheme to expose the secret that I knew I had to take to my grave. Each time she spoke, the story would be the same. She was abused by a man when she was young. She then met a woman, felt safe and protected and fell in love. Her story would include the caveat that she always knew how sinful, evil, and dirty it was to be a lesbian, but that it was her choice to continue. Then one day something changed. She cried out to God and begged him to take away her same-sex attraction. And God answered her prayers. And she's now in a loving relationship with a man. And that was it. Pat's story was proof that every single living being who suffered from same-sex attraction can be cured. Her personal story would then morph into her talking about her current mission. She would share the incredible work that Exodus International is doing by working in the margins of society and helping to cure and save the lost, confused, and wayward children of God from their sinful same-sex attraction. We would end those services with our pastor joining Pat on stage to pray over Pat and commission her soul-saving missionary work. After that prayer, we would sit through another hymn while the offering plate passed around for the second time, and this time to collect money that would go directly to Exodus International. And as that offering plate was passed person to person, I would watch as members of my own church family would give money to have the sinful parts of me erased. Every dollar dropped into those plates was another vote that the people in my community believed that I was a sinner that needed to be cured. Now, I want to stop for a second for a couple of side notes. Number one, reparative therapy or conversion therapy has zero scientific or medical support. The American Psychiatric Association now warns of the destructive psychological, mental, and emotional effects of conversion therapy. Many states and provinces have now enacted laws that ban the practice of reparative therapy. Our governments had to get involved to say, stop, this is killing kids. And two, I make no judgment on Pat's personal life experience and knowing nothing about the fluidity or rigidity of her sexuality. But where I take huge exception is how she used her personal experience 
pseudoscience, and the name of God to lead an organization that abused, damaged, and killed other children of God. Now, back to our story. When Pat's service ended, I would see her talking with my parents in the church lobby. I wanted to vomit, and yet there was nothing I could do but wait for the day that they would show up in an unmarked van, haul me out of bed, throw me in the van and take me away. In my mind, I was certain that the only reason for Pat to speak with my parents was to make plans for me to be sent to one of her deep gay camps or programs. Now, some of you might be thinking, wow, this kid had a crazy, vivid imagination. And why would he create such elaborate stories in his head? But for me, back at that age, I knew that's how things happened. And I knew that's how gay people were dealt with. Or at least that's what Focus on the Family wanted fundamentalist Christians to believe was the truth for that curable but wayward sinner with same-sex attraction. Now, if you're not familiar with Focus on the Family, they're an American-based fundamentalist Christian organization that lobbies and promotes social conservative views like creationism, abstinence-only sex education, adoption only by heterosexuals, school prayer, and traditional gender roles. It opposes things like premarital sex, pornography, drugs, gambling, divorce, and abortion. And it lobbies against LGBT rights, including LGBT adoption, LGBT parenting, and of course, same-sex marriage. Focus on the Family was led by a man named James Dobson, and their daily content reached more than 220 million people in 164 countries. To us kids, Focus on the Family was positioned as this fun, family-loving company that produced these incredible bedtime stories called Adventures in Odyssey. And every night, we would love to fall asleep to each and every one of those episodes that we played over and over and over. And while we slept, our parents would read James Dobson's book, Dare to Discipline, where he advocated the spanking of children up to eight years old when they misbehaved. But I think my parents forgot to underline the up to eight years old part when it came to me. He notes that spanking should be of a significant magnitude to cause the child to cry genuinely. But he does draw the line by warning that corporal punishment should not be a frequent occurrence. But what I didn't know as a kid was that focus on the family had been criticized regularly by psychiatrists, psychologists, and social scientists for misrepresenting their research in order to bolster their religious ideology and their political agenda. But this was the content that our churches and my family supported financially, and we looked up to them as having the highest biblical authority. Their content and their teaching became new compliance standards in my world. After all, what could be wrong with focusing on your family? There were countless articles in the Focus on the Family magazines or on daily radio shows that were a staple in our family home, on our drives to and from church, and all around our church. Those news stories would talk about other families that had their children saved through conversion therapy programs like Love Wins Out or Exodus International. These stories quoted other moms and dads who helped do the hard thing, but the loving thing to save their child from choosing to live a sin-filled, 
same-sex attracted lifestyle. I didn't realize the impact of this alt-right toxic theology as a child, because back then, this was the media that we were taught to trust, to love, and obey. And it wasn't media. This was our church. This was our family. This was an extension of what God wanted us to do. And now, I fully agree and endorse the words of Amber Contorna, another queer survivor of Focus on the Family, where she writes in her memoir, Refocusing My Family, that Focus teaches toxic messages of rejection instead of embrace, judgment instead of love, and fracture instead of unity. And I can now see it was the preteen me that took on the full and unbearable load of toxic shame and hate from this massive, tax-exempt parachurch organization. And I took on that load while keeping a smile on my face because I was too terrified to let anyone see my fear. This was another example of my personhood and my beingness being attacked by the people who claimed to be offering God's unconditional love. And while my young mind anxiously awaited being shipped off to my de-gang experience, I started to give up. I tried to resign from my fear and anxiety by starting this inevitable reprogramming on myself. I spent years crying myself to sleep while begging God to take away my evil homosexual thoughts, to take them away from me forever. I would promise God everything I could think of if only he would take away my disease. And no matter what I promised, no matter what I said, no matter how hard I prayed, he never answered. And why would God take away other people's homosexuality? Why would he take it away from Pat, but leave me with mine? And after years of praying, reading my Bible, and doing everything that I could, it was confirmed. I was a sinner. I was broken. And I was unlovable by God. My internal and spiritual world was crashing, but I still knew that I had to do everything that I could to keep my outer world bright and sunny. I convinced myself that if I could play things cool and be as perfect as possible, maybe, just maybe, I would be granted a stay of execution. And maybe, if I was really good, God would still take pity on me and take my dirty gay feelings away. So I stuffed all my feelings deep down inside of me, and I pretended that they weren't there. It was a terrible way to live. But with nobody safe to share my feelings, I didn't see any other way. I desperately wanted to connect with others. I wanted to love. I wanted to belong. And I wanted to feel. I was angry, but I had nowhere to direct this anger but inside. My little light was starting to fade, and there was nothing I could do about it. There was nowhere I could go, and no one I could share my feelings with. No one, except my little dog, Toby. He's the only person 
or dog that I ever felt comfortable sharing any of this with until now. So what about you? Do you have any similar experiences growing up? Were you ever taught that who you were was wrong, evil, sinful, or less than? Or maybe it was you that was teaching those things. How does that land for you? Or maybe you're not part of the queer community, but perhaps you were taught some of these toxic messages because of the color of your skin, your gender, the shape of your body, or different abilities you may have. Sadly, we live in a world where so many feel the need to soothe their own insecurities and feelings of inadequacy by demonizing or controlling others. We are all children of God, and every single one of us has been designed to love and be loved. No man or organization has been given any authority to speak on behalf of God to tell you anything that contradicts his message. As an adult, I can now see that all of these messages are just fear. They're about excluding others and their hate. And all of them, they're man-made. They're not of God and they're not real. Just like there were never any monsters under my bed. I'm thankful that I can now look back at some of the homophobia shared by my church and can see it for what it really is. Just fear, hate, and the desire to control. While we've made several strides forward since I was a young boy, we still have a long way to go. As I look back and examine the hate-filled homophobic messages that I received growing up in the church, I can't help but see the connection to the epidemic of brokenness, sexual shame, and addiction, and my own fear of intimacy, despite my deep desire for that connection. The church created the system of oppression that so many queer people now find themselves enslaved in. The church created much of the pain that they now point to as examples of sin and separation from God. If you teach a child that they are unworthy, unlovable, and sin-filled for their thoughts and for part of their I amness, what do you expect the fruits of their lives will look like? While this level of hate is rarely spoken as publicly as it has been in the past, the fear, the hate, and the desire to control is just below the surface. Evangelical churches like the one I was raised in still believe and teach that I'm not allowed to love. C3, the Christian hipster global megachurch, just this summer sent out a new nine-page lifestyle contract that includes denouncing homosexual relationships. And some of the brave allies who refuse to sign, they've already been removed from their leadership positions. They continue to shame and maim queer children as they teach and preach only one way to have a loving union under the eyes of God. What I hope to pass along with this podcast episode is that even though we may have toned down the vitriol of the 90s, the damage continues to be passed down to our next generation. I believe it is our role to be cycle breakers and to stop this hate from being passed down to further generations. If you support a church or an organization, either financially or through your attendance, that doesn't openly affirm, encourage, and celebrate the right of all God's children to love, be loved, and be in a relationship 
you might as well be screaming and holding up a poster on a busy corner saying, God hates figs. To those of us who have been hurt and abused by the church, your silence on this issue is deafening. For some, your words, your kindness, and your friendship say that you support the queer community and that you support me. And yet you continue to support, to build up, and to promote institutions and churches that say, I'm less than. To me, this is the same as someone claiming to be anti-racist, yet to continue to be a member of their white-only country club, because that's part of your family history and where all of your friends go. Is that the message you want to be sending? If not, maybe it's time for you to stand up for love. Maybe it's time to use your voice, your wallet, and your feet to bring more love into our world for all people. Sound daunting? Sound impossible? Well, next episode, I will be joined by best-selling author, columnist, Anglican cleric, and former nightly television and radio host, Michael Corrin. Michael and I will be talking about his book, Epiphany, and what went wrong on his journey from being the poster boy of Catholic conservatism towards his profound spiritual and personal change of heart towards the queer community. Join me in two weeks' time as Michael talks about how, as a middle-aged, very white, very straight, very Christian man, he was obliged, first reluctantly, then eagerly, to explore the complex dynamic between faith and homosexuality and to work out a new narrative. And you know what his new narrative is? God is love, and you are loved, no matter who you are. And I couldn't agree with Michael more. I'm really excited to share Michael's heterosexual Christian coming out story, and I want to give away a free copy of his book Epiphany to a listener of this little light of mine. For your chance to win, all you need to do is subscribe, rate, and leave a review for this little light of mine on Apple Podcasts or on IGTV. Next episode, I'll choose one of the reviews and send you your very own copy of Epiphany. Thanks for joining me today, and before we go, your story is important. You were designed with a powerful voice. We need to hear what you have to say. You matter. You are needed. You are wanted. And you are loved. Thanks for listening to This Little Light of Mine. To learn more about our guests today and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved.